Hello and welcome to another podcast from VJ Oncology. We are a global digital open access journal here to share the latest updates on oncology from around the world. Today we'll be discussing the hot topics in breast cancer, from rapid developments in recent clinical trials to the rise of targeted therapies and precision medicine. Our first speaker will delve into updates from the recent ASCO 2018 annual meeting. Here's Robert Coleman presenting the latest trial updates in breast cancer. I think this has been a good ASCO for um, new data in breast cancer in a number of areas. Um, obviously the headline study is TaylorX, everybody's talking about TaylorX using Oncotype DX testing uh, and looking at the uh, impact of chemotherapy in patients with an intermediate score and the data suggesting that at least overall um, patients didn't benefit from chemotherapy over hormone treatment. I think we need to digest that study a little bit and decide whether, uh, you know, who, who are we going to recommend Oncotype testing for. I think many of the patients that were tested in the trial in the UK we wouldn't actually even send for testing. We wouldn't have been suggesting chemotherapy for them. So we need to think about that a bit. There's some uncertainty about the younger patients as well. Maybe some of them do benefit from the chemotherapy. In the other area, the thing that I found really quite exciting was some work around targeted therapies for triple negative breast cancer. So there were a couple of presentations looking at uh, drugs that affect the um, AKT, PI3 kinase pathway, which is not something that's been particularly uh, looked at uh, in triple negative uh, patients before. Uh, but there was a very nice study from Peter Schmidt and colleagues looking at a, uh, an AstraZeneca compound which inhibits uh, AKT, showing that this added to paclitaxel in the treatment of uh, advanced uh, triple negative breast cancer. Uh, so I think that drug may move forward. Uh, and there are other agents in that that affect that pathway that seem to be having um, at least preliminary evidence of efficacy. Other areas uh, that I thought were of interest were a little bit more refinement about uh, endocrine treatments in breast cancer, so a bit more detail about CDK4-6 inhibition, um, being able to use it in uh, premenopausal women um, with a, using abemocyclib. That was uh, not a surprising result, but an important result with that agent. Uh, and a trial uh, with ribocyclib and fulvestrin uh, showing that that combination could be used up front and uh, that's not something we'd normally do in clinical practice but the data looked good and certainly Dennis Slayman who was presenting those data felt quite strongly that that was, that was the best partnership for a CDK46 was fulvestrin. With the outcome of many trials highlighting the need for targeted therapy to manage disease while maintaining a minimal toxicity profile, precision medicine has gained increasing attention. Our next talk is from Howard Burris, outlining new advances in personalized medicine and therapeutics for breast cancer. So this year's ASCO meeting, um, while focused on precision medicine and thinking about uh, molecular profiling and deciding how best to treat uh, smaller and smaller groups of patients, we saw some big impact uh, stories as well that came out. So personalized medicine at the other end of the spectrum, women who've had their breast cancer resected and now are deciding whether to receive adjuvant therapy. 
Joe Sperano presented on behalf of a number of investigators the results of the Taylor RX study, a trial that entailed thousands of women with ER positive breast cancer undergoing the Oncotype DX molecular profile. This 21 gene recurrence score, in fact, showed that patients who had an intermediate risk uh, score between 11 and 25, in fact, do not need to receive chemotherapy. Um, that is a huge advance in terms of better understanding the risk factors around these patients. They'll still continue to receive hormonal therapy. There remains a group of patients who need chemotherapy, but being able to avoid what seems to be an ever-growing younger population of patients from having the long-term effects of chemotherapy, very, very important. Uh, also on the breast cancer front, uh, trastuzumab. Uh, the use of trastuzumab in breast cancer has been one of the great stories over the last 20 years. Uh, talking about taking a disease that was uniformly fatal and now having those patients with greater than 90% long-term survival. That being said, a year's worth of therapy is a long time in the adjuvant setting. Uh, results from this uh, ASCO meeting showed, in fact, that six months of trastuzumab is as good as 12 months of trastuzumab. Uh, that'll be interesting to see how that uptake goes. One would think we might be driven by the data, but it's fairly well tolerated. The hard to change habits, doctors will begin to think about patients that might be at greater risk to try to continue on with those uh, types of therapies. So again, that'll be an evolving story. But this duration question, one of the ways to handle costs to me is going to be how long do we have to give these therapies. I think the other way to help handle costs, which was addressed in several sessions, is treating the patients who need the therapy. The immunotherapies have been a wonderful addition. The fact is, in most disease settings, it's a specific group of patients that benefit, and we need to really define that group um, and not spend the time, money, or, or, or waste the efforts on patients who are unlikely to benefit. So moving on to immunotherapy and non-small cell lung cancer, still one of the most high volume diseases, still one of the uh, cancers where we have too much fatality. The use of pembrolizumab in the first line setting versus chemotherapy was a positive result presented at the plenary session. Uh, exciting news. Uh, we're going to still continue to see pembrolizumab with chemotherapy. We're going to continue to see a, a variety of, of combinations of those sorts of approaches. But the idea that the immunotherapies are going to change how patients do with non-small cell lung cancer, uh, a critically important result. Following on with the theme of targeted medicine, Peter Fashing discusses the results of the Phase 3 Rebecca trial. This trial used a ribocyclib-based regimen to target hormone receptor-positive metastatic breast cancer. The uh, Rebecca trial was initiated after the results of the Mona Lisa 2 study were presented. We know that in the metastatic setting, there is many mechanisms active that cause endocrine resistance. And one way to overcome it is to give patients what are called CDK4-6 inhibitors, of which ribocyclob is one. And the results were very overwhelming because we have a very good tumor control in the metastatic setting with adding a CDK4-6 inhibitor to an anti-hormone therapy. So we thought we have to conduct a trial in the time where the drug is not approved yet and collect as much information whether we find subgroups that might have a high harm of the therapy or that have a high efficacy of the chemotherapy because our goal is obviously only to treat patients that have the highest benefit from something and the smallest harm. So what we presented here at ASCO were the first interim results of the study. We're very happy that the study just finished recruitment of 500 patients a week ago. 
So we don't have efficacy results yet, so what we presented here was an interim analysis of the safety results and we are glad to say that in our population there were no new safety signals found with comparison to the Mona Lisa 2 study or the Mona Lisa 3 study which was published here at ASCO. And, um, we are starting to work with the data, we are starting to get the biomaterials uh, together in a way that we can address the questions we designed the study for. A wide range of other therapies are also being investigated for breast cancer with promising initial results. Aditya Bardia explores the potential treatment avenues for breast cancer therapy including PI3 kinase, AKT, HDAC and BCL2 inhibitors. The landscape of metastatic breast cancer is evolving very rapidly. For hormone receptor positive breast cancer, we have CDK46 inhibitors, we have mTOR inhibitors. At the ASCO 2018 me meeting, we heard about the Sandpiper um, trial, which evaluated a PA3 kinase inhibitor uh, with fulvestrant versus fulvestrant alone and it did show a modest improvement in progression-free survival, but the agent was also associated with significant toxicity, including colitis and diarrhea. But it does highlight that one could potentially use PI3 kinase inhibitor for PIK3CA mutant hormone receptor positive breast cancer. Besides uh, PI3 kinase inhibitors, there is interest in AKT inhibitors for hormone receptor positive breast cancer as well as triple negative breast cancer. There's interest in HDAC inhibitors for hormone receptor positive breast cancer. There is interest in BCL2 inhibitors for hormone receptor positive breast cancer. There are multiple targeted therapies that are being evaluated for hormone receptor positive breast cancer which would change the landscape. For triple negative breast cancer, there's a lot of excitement around the use of immunotherapy in combination with various agents. Besides immunotherapy, there's interest in AKT inhibitor for triple negative breast cancers that have an altered PI3 kinase pathway. And finally, for triple negative breast cancer, there's interest in PARP inhibitors in combination with other agents, um, and hopefully that would improve the outcomes of patients with triple negative breast cancer. And in general, as a field, there is interest in antibody drug conjugate. Sasituzumab, govitekin is an antibody drug conjugate. There's another antibody drug conjugate that targets LIV-1, which has shown encouraging um, activity in pretreated patients with metastatic breast cancer. And I think that ADCs could be a way of delivering higher doses of chemotherapy and optimizing the efficacy to toxicity profile. Although genetic testing has become a major asset in influencing therapeutic decisions before treatment, it is not routinely available to patients. Here Nazneen Rahman explains why these challenges exist and potential solutions to tackle them. There have been two main challenges to getting genetic testing routinely available for the cancer patients that need it. One was getting access to that testing and the second was working out who should have the testing. So traditionally, Getting access to testing involved quite a complicated referral to different pathways. So one of the things that we've been doing is getting that access available in the cancer clinic. And that's gone very well. The second aspect was working out who should have the testing and having simple criteria for that. We used to have really very complicated criteria, but now we've got six simple criteria, which is all women with ovarian cancer and a proportion, about a third of women with breast cancer. 
So that makes it much easier for patients and doctors to work out who should have the testing. We've been able to roll this um, pathway out at the Marsden Hospital and that's gone very well. Uh, we've also looked at how effective it would be for the NHS and it would be cost effective for the NHS to do this because it would um, save uh, lives and cancers occurring in the future. So now what we're doing is really working to see how we could uh, make it work for the rest of the country and indeed the rest of the world. One of the most challenging aspects of treatment is the development of resistance. The need for rapid developments in therapy stems largely from patients developing resistance to their treatment, thus receiving benefit for only a short while. We're back with Peter Fashing for our last clip, where he comments on the importance of the development of therapies that can overcome resistance to hormone therapy, so that the use of chemotherapy for the treatment of breast cancer can be minimised. Yeah, so if we focus on the population of the Rebecca trial, that's the largest population of metastatic breast cancer patients which are hormone receptor positive and are lacking an expression or amplification of the HER2 gene, so they're not eligible for an anti-HER2 treatment. And this makes up for the population where patients in the metastatic die of the most. So there's the highest number of patients that have to deal with this disease that at that point is not curable anymore. And in that situation, uh, national and international guidelines recommend to do anti-hormone therapy rather than chemotherapy but the border where you would switch from giving a patient rather a hormone therapy or chemotherapy they're not clearly defined so there's lots of insecurities and patients often get overtreated with chemotherapy which has lots of side effects. As a matter of fact in Europe there was a recent publication that 40% of the patients in the first line get chemotherapy and people were shocked why that is so high because the guidelines clearly recommend to give anti-hormone therapy. So drugs that overcome endocrine resistance as a monotherapy are very helpful in changing the therapy landscape that doctors and patients both feel more comfortable in relying on anti-hormone therapy based therapies rather than giving a chemotherapy. So getting CDK4-6 inhibitors or before that there was an mTOR inhibitor that already went into that direction, both doctors and patients are very glad to have to prevent toxic chemotherapies. That's it for our podcast on the hot topics surrounding breast cancer today. We thank all our speakers for sharing their knowledge and we hope you've enjoyed listening to them. To stay up to date with the latest cutting-edge oncology news, visit us at vjoncology.com and follow us on Twitter at vjoncology. Tune in next time for more exciting updates in oncology.